Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California, 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. It's Friday. That can only mean one thing. It's Legends of Sport Friday. It's Andy Bernstein. Hey Andy, how are you? I'm good, Arash. Doing great. How are you, bud? I am good. I did not expect to be covering playoff basketball, but here we are. The Lakers going on an amazing run. We'll see how long it lasts. I mean, you know, yeah. when you, we talk about them starting the season 0 and 5, 2 and 10. You've covered some amazing Lakers teams. I, I, I don't know if you've covered a team that was in that position prior to the trade deadline, even, Andy, you know, yeah. below, below 500. Um, how do you put into words this run that they've had? Well, I think that back in the beginning of the season when they were what two and ten or something, yeah, those yeah. things. I think we all knew the talent that they had, the core talent. I mean, with AD and and LeBron, of course, and um, it, it just there just wasn't it just wasn't the chemistry or I don't know the the stars hadn't quite aligned at that point, you know. But we knew that that was an anomaly. I mean, there's no way that team was going to go, you know. 20 and <laughs> yeah. 62. Yeah. So um, hats off to Rob Palenka, man, for really um, recognizing what they needed, um, going out and, and getting those pieces, starting with Rui Hachimura, yeah. you know, and then uh, you know, bringing back D'Angelo Russell, which I think was a huge thing. Um, I was sorry to see him go when he went the first time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, guys like Lonnie Walker stepping up uh. and, and uh, I mean, who knew that this kid Reeves would be, you know, undrafted kid would would be what he is. Wow. It's like sort of the second coming of Alex Caruso and then <laughs> and then some. So wow. it's an interesting series because, you know, it's so it's so interesting to me because th- these guys, these teams have not played each other in the playoffs since 1991. That's right. Which is so weird to think that that much time has gone by. You know, they're in the same division, obviously the same conference. Um, you know, when the, the Warriors were good, the Lakers weren't so good. And then, of course, when the Lakers were good, the Warriors weren't good. <laughs> and then it, that kept just going. Um, so it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, the Bay against Southern Cal and the whole thing. It's just, it's been a, a blast to document it and be part of it. Yeah. Uh, we both love the game of basketball. But this book, this author, David Hollander, really puts it into terms that I can get get down with. I, I love it. The title of the book will grab your attention. How Basketball Can Save the World. Listen, we're, we're going to get into the first part of your conversation with them. But I love the title there, Andy. How Basketball Can Save the World. 
Well, you know what? I first was introduced to this book and, and the author um, by my good friend, Mark Tomashow, who, who was, you know, spent decades at Nike, was a huge executive at Nike, retired, became a good friend and podcast guest. And, and Mark is always trying to send people my way. I thought it was a little bit hokey, honestly. Um, <laughs> but then he said, look, give it, he, he said, get the book from Amazon, read it, and then come back to me and I'll see if I can hook you up with David. And I'll tell you something, man, from like the first chapter that book had me, because the yeah. premise of the book, really, um, Professor Hollander, he's a professor at, at uh, NYU, he teaches a class of wow. the same title, wow. How Basketball Can Save the World. Imagine taking that class, right? <laughs> um, and, it, you know, the premise of the book is that he takes um, Naismith's 13 principles of basketball that, you know, were written in, what, the 1880s, 90s? Mm -hmm and applies them to what's happening in our society today and how those principles in a broad sense could be brought in to literally save the world. I mean, wow. everything from climate change to inclusion, to race relations, to social justice, to, um, uh, you know, any kind of dictatorship that's happening in the world. Um, it's really, it was inspiring. It was eye opening and I got to tell you, man, it's incredibly plausible. Um, <laughs> you know, David lays out a, a very possible scenario that look, he's he's trying to get the, the UN to adopt um, World Basketball Day uh, wow. and their charter, which could possibly happen. Um, he's got a lot of support for it, <clears throat> and that will only bring to light the the, the true um, camaraderie sharing. Um, cooperative spirit, uh, that basketball, that was the intention from the beginning when Naismith invented the game, was really a cooperative game um, <clears throat> that didn't rely on a, a goal that was, you know, fixed on the ground. He actually put the goal up high, as we know, right? It was a peach basket. Yeah. So it's just so interesting. I mean, one, one of the biggest things is, is that the basketball is a very democratic sport. You know, anybody can play it. Um, it can be honestly played anywhere as long as you can put, you know, some semblance of, of a rim or something up. Um, and once people are on the court, as we've seen, you know, I grew up in New York. I used to, you know, play playground basketball. You've seen it everywhere all over the world. Once you step on, on the court, on those lines, everybody is together. Everybody yeah. You're playing pickup ball with guys that you never or women you've never met before. You're all relying on each other. You're, you know, nobody's looking at color or gender or even age, you know. Uh, and it, it's really was an amazing conversation. And he's a fascinating guy to begin with. So I was so grateful to Mark and I was grateful to David for taking the time to do it. Awesome. With that said, let's get to the uh, first part of the conversation Legends of Sport Friday. Professor David Hollander. Um, David, I got to tell you, this book, um, uh, it, it really opened my eyes. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been in professional basketball. This is now f year 42, okay? I've been to thousands of games. I grew up in Brooklyn playing street basketball, playing in the driveway, playing in the schoolyard. Yeah. Um, but until I read your book and really bought into your theory, quite honestly, pretty early. 
it just it just blew me away, man. I got to tell you, it's it's a fan, fantastic book. What so incredibly well written? The way you tie in Naismith's uh, thirteen principles, uh, thirteen rules, and I was you know beating my head against the wall because I usually know where to get started in an interview, honestly. <laughs> And I'm on page three of my notes. I think I want to get started with the NBA bubble. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I, I spent 53 days in the NBA bubble. And you talk about the NBA bubble. And this can get us into your theory, okay, and, and everything you want to talk about about your book. But you talked about the NBA bubble as, quote, the only functioning um, institution in the United States during a summer of chaos and conflict. Okay, so... I'm in the NBA bubble during this crazy ass summer of 2020 and basketball was, was really all of our savior. Right. So how, how does that relate? Okay. How does basketball become bigger than just a game in your mind? Okay. I know this is a broad question, but this well, is the whole treatise of your book. Yeah. I mean, so it, it was interesting to note so first, one of the things I tell my students right from the get-go is uh, this is not a course about the NBA. It's a course about the game. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the, the professional basketball league, um, as compared to other professional sports leagues, mm -hmm. yeah, was interesting to note um, uh, that uh, in the moment of, uh, at least in our lifetime, of, of, of you know, complete almost global failure across mm -hmm. the board institutional failure one institution um not only was among the first to say hold on a second this is a real problem yeah um but was able to execute itself and not only were they able to execute their kind of professional function there uh when, when other institutions were just failing nothing seemed to work nobody seemed to have the right answer and you know everything from from international to local healthcare schools nothing was working mm -hmm. what i found even above and beyond the fact that the mba was able to do what they did was and and that it i you know i, I do believe it comes from the fact that they're a basketball based organization mm -hmm. was that with the elimination where, where, where there was really nothing else but the game itself you kind of saw these guys become uh i think really the very best versions of who they were mm -hmm. as teammates as athletes as players there was a, a a brand of basketball being played professionally that we have not seen maybe before you know since the maybe the bird magic time mm -hmm. and since mm -hmm. uh and it was something about the just the purity of the game mm -hmm. um nothing else but the game mm -hmm. uh that i was blown away by and i I wish people would remember that. It's so great that you were actually eyewitness there. Yeah. You know, I totally concur with what you say because uh, people ask me about about it all the time. And I say, you know what? It, the quality of play was, was as good as I'd ever seen, you know, and, and the, they were just locked in on playing, you know, they yeah. that's all they cared about. And then that goes back to this is how these guys grew up. They grew up playing ball for the love of the game. Everything else came later, Right. So let's go back to Naismith then, right? So Naismith, 1891, right? He invents this game. Can you run us through that? I mean, I read it in the book, but I'd love to hear from you um, what what the political social climate was like in those days and how that might compare to today. Um, incredibly uh, 
similar. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's why. It was 1891, December 21, when James Naismith invented the game of basketball, posted the 13 rules on the gym. Mm -hmm. What was going on at that time? Well, uh, this may sound familiar. There was unprecedented uh, wealth inequality. It was called the Gilded Age. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Technologists uh, had uh, led the country um into a new age called industrialization where they said listen we have these new technologies it's going to make the world more democratized there's going to be a greater sharing of wealth um turned out to be just the opposite there was a shredding of the social fabric um unprecedented immigration which led to unprecedented resentment of new uh uh, immigrants Mm. on top of what had already been uh domestically a conquest of the indigenous people mm-hmm. what domestically had been the 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 backlash of uh, or, or the kind of reverberation of reconstruction post civil war which led to the resentment of blacks and jim crow laws mm-hmm. um i mean this was a country at a very difficult time and it was surrounded by a global environment Tsarist Russia had just like uh, pillaged across uh, its 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 weakest in all its villages. Um, it was only a decade out of the 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 Anglo Zulu wars in Africa. Western Europe was the Boxer Rebellion, uh, it, which is which was a civil war in mm. China, mm-hmm. um, a cultural and, and ideological civil war, and Western Europe. Uh, was suffering from all kinds of secret alliances and paranoia, which led to World War One, the first all-consuming global conflagration. Mm-hmm. Um, Naismith, very particular human being with lived experience, an orphan at the age of nine in Massachusetts, but from another country. Yes, it was similar to the Anglo kind of majority in the United States, but still, he was an outsider, perhaps imbued with... Uh, not only a, an empathy for those who uh, ha- had suffered, but also an empathy for not being from the place he was from. Mm-hmm. Um, a, 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 a intellectual wanderer, someone who graduated divinity school, didn't go to the ministry. So I believe that his game, consciously and unconsciously, was meant as a social institution. It was a way to make people better people. Mm-hmm. Um, and interesting that 130 years later, as countries have formed and deformed um people have come and gone ideologies have been proven and disproven trends have come and gone this thing has only increased in ubiquity and influence mm-hmm. uh, remarkable social invention mm. yeah you talk about the the way he invented the game i mean it's it was a game is meant to be played in a small area you know intimate setting it stressed cooperation and sharing chemistry of course you talk about positionless non-judgment um equal opportunity um all of these amazing traits that that you're saying in your book and now that that we're talking that that he consciously meant that to happen like he was it was a reaction to the times right it was yeah he and they were innovations yeah games before that um were reflective of the times they were about domination mm. i'm stronger than you or i'm faster than you and the way i score is i run over you through you <laughs> uh, past you and it's you know like a touchdown and rugby uh, soccer uh, baseball you know, get to the base faster a strike mm-hmm. he elevated the goal he which which required like a different kind of athletic type he insisted on a small space he insisted on no running with the ball which was sounds 
today we, we take it for granted, but mm -hmm. that was actually a, a, a crazy idea because he knew that if you couldn't run, it would eliminate tackling. Mm -hmm. And then it would require the advancement of the ball through sharing, passing. Mm -hmm. This was uh, for a man with high spiritual aspirations, I believe, an, an expression of his spiritual uh, dream mm -hmm. uh, for the world to be uh, as he wished it was. So let me ask you this. How, if if Dr. Naismith was here, <laughs> how would he feel about how his game has evolved and, and, and what the game has meant to the world yeah. in these hundred and what, 30 years? I think he would have mixed feelings. Mm. Um, here's why. And it, look, he was a, he was a really special person. Mm -hmm. So I don't think uh, he, he would feel badly, but he would be thrilled with uh, the spectac spectacular performances, the way people have played the game now at this high level, he, 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 beyond his wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. He may not be um, uh, sure about the hyper-commercialized aspect of it um, and certain institutions having commandeered that and corrupted it uh, down to the youth level. Mm -hmm. He, and, and you say, well, why is that? Wouldn't he wouldn't be so happy uh, about, um, you know, the, the massive institutions become, well, he never sought money for this. Mm. He, he, this was a gift he gave to the world. There were times when people said, you sure, you know, don't you, you know, um, isn't this something that, you know, belongs to you? Mm -hmm. And he said, you don't get it. Mm. All I wanted was to create something, an exercise, a, 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 a non-commercialized, coachless, mm -hmm. um, exercise for people to develop socially mm. um, and spiritually and and so i think he'd be thrilled by how many people love it how big it's become all over the world um and i think that's what he'd emphasize um he he'd i think he'd he'd love to see more people see it not just for the elite level excitement mm -hmm. but for the personal development mm. Yeah, I was I was really surprised to read that that it was embraced by women pretty much like from the outset, right? And that um, you know, of course, minorities, the inner city, that's a rural and an urban game. I mean, we point that out so eloquently. I mean, the whole example about the Philippines just kind of blew me away. <laughs> that was, I mean, who knew, right? I, I mean, I've been all over the world with the NBA and I've seen it, um, yeah. but. You know, when you're working, you know, you're there and you don't really see it. I mean, I remember, I, I just got to tell you one story. I remember when we went, we took the Celtics to Madrid in 1988, right? First time an NBA team played in the McDonald's Open, it was called. And uh, we, we drive, we're driving in the team bus to the arena and it was raining. And every single person is wearing like a bird jersey uh you know, father, grandpa, little kid, didn't matter, in the rain, and they were out of their minds. And then you go, you know, fast forward, I've been to China 13 times with the NBA. It's in, it just, the game, and I know soccer is like the global sport, but it doesn't unite the world, or it's not as easy to play as basketball, right? It isn't. Yeah. Um, look, there's, there's there more people play cricket than they play basketball worldwide. Mm. Cricket doesn't have the same kind of influence. Mm -hmm. More people play soccer. Um, sorry, sorry. Cricket isn't as ubiquitous. It's mm -hmm. not everywhere. Yeah. Um, certainly doesn't have the same kind of youth culture or anything like mm -hmm. that yet. Yeah. Soccer has ubiquity. 
more people play it. Mm. Play it all over. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the same kind of influence. Right. It does not uh, produce music. Uh, it does not produce the incredible fashion and footwear, which has become, you know, sneaker culture, which has come to dominate all footwear culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you will not see what you see in Paris, St. Germain, yeah. where this vaunted, you know, European soccer brand, in order to be cooler and more relevant, they put a jump man, <laughs> uh, a, a, a basketball right. player silhouette. Yeah. Could you or I imagine, like, a basketball team putting a soccer player on their jersey to be cooler. Mm. No, mm. that's what it stands for something. Yeah, that's so interesting, man. All right, let's leave it there for now. Amazing first part of that conversation right here on Legends of Sport Friday with author and professor David Hollander. Listen, we all love the game of basketball, but uh, heck of a title there. How basketball can save the world. I love it. Love the game of basketball. So amazing first part of that conversation uh, right here on Legends of Sport Friday. You'll get more of that conversation, and I'll talk to Andy Bernstein about what it's like to shoot playoff basketball. Is it different than the regular season? you got to imagine it is. But we'll talk about all that and more when we come back right here on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the Bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. what drives everyone to make the most of every moment we celebrate living large in the now in a city where time disappears we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever we go big we go all night and here everyone is invited so get loose and get loud this is circa you'll have the time of your life This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment, or want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii, call our hotline 310-400-0340. It is Legends of Sport Friday, and that can only mean one thing. It's Andy Bernstein. Amazing first part of that conversation with Professor David Hollander. Again, we only play just a snippet of these conversations. I know people are going to be enthralled by this. How can they hear the entire conversation? Yeah, thanks, Arash. Yeah, please uh, check us out um, on your favorite podcast platform. We're, we're on all of them, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, um, Legends of Sports, name of the podcast. Uh, you'll see this week's podcast as well as our, I think David was close to our 200th episode wow. done in, in six seasons, which is pretty amazing. Also, our YouTube channel, Legends of Sport. And, uh, you know, on social media, please follow us at Legends of Sport or my photography at ADB Photo Inc. And for all things Legends of Sport, please go to our 
uh, website, which, you know, has everything on it that anyone could possibly ever want to know about legendary <laughs> sports. Um, at, it's legendsofsport.net. So check us out. So, Andy, what's this time like for you? I mean, this is, you know, you cover the entire, you know, season from a you know, training camp, media day, preseason, regular season. It's the playoffs. We're, we're right on the cusp of the conference finals, right on the cusp of the NBA finals. It's what these guys play for for you and what you do. How do you view this? I mean, does do these games feel big? Again, we were on the court at the Lakers game, and I was just having a flashback because it had been such a long time, Andy, because 2020, I wasn't there with you in Florida. And by the way, that that didn't – I don't know how that felt, but it yeah. couldn't have felt like it did back in 2010. What is this time period like for you? Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Arash, because I looked around and mentioned to a couple of people. I hadn't seen that many people on the court yeah. pregame. I think the last time was Kobe's last game. Yeah. Right in 2016, that, that uh, you know, every inch of the court was covered <laughs> up and down the sidelines and the baselines. It was beautiful to see. Um, you know, Magic used to call this time of year money time, <laughs> right? And this is money time. I mean, this, you know, I, I take every game seriously, as you know, um, but it gets ratcheted up in terms of uh, importance, I guess. Um, and, I love playoff basketball. I mean, you know, every possession, every play, every ebb and flow of the game, even, you know, the series going could go 2-2 or it's going to go 3-1. That's such a big difference, right? Yeah. The other night when we, we didn't know whether what was going to happen. Um, so it's wonderful to see this across the league. Um, all the series, have, for me, have been very compelling. Um and who knows what's going to happen here in this series. You know, the Warriors are a tough bunch, man. Um, no one expected them to really win it last year, as you yeah. remember. Um, Lakers, of course, have incredible experience. I mean, I'm just blown away every time somebody on TV mentions how many playoff games LeBron James has played. Yeah. He has played more than three full seasons of <laughs> Of just playoff games. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it just blows your mind when you think about it, right? It's incredible. Um, when you see, and again, he's been playing for quite a long time. You know, you covered Michael Thompson, Michael Thompson with the Lakers, now Clay Thompson. Uh, what's that like for you? I mean, sometimes there's moments in your career where you're like, I've been doing this for quite a long time. When you <laughs> chronicled Clay Thompson's career and his father, Michael Thompson's career, what's that like? <laughs> It's so funny because I'm, I'm super good friends with, with Michael, of course, and, and I saw him when he came in to crypto the other night. I said, how you feeling, Mike? He says, on which side? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, he works for the Lakers, of course, yeah. but his son, um, you know, plays with the Warriors. Yeah. It's funny. And he and his wife, Julie, I saw Julie the other night as well. And they had a, they had their grandchildren, grandchild there. It was a beautiful wow. thing, man. Um, I love... I love watching Clay play. I've been watching him since he was a little kid, quite honestly. Um, but his attachment and 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 the way he honors Kobe and mm. what Kobe meant to him and continues to meet to to mean to him um, in good times and bad. You know, he, yeah. he also quoted Kobe when things weren't going particularly great and the ball wasn't dropping and not to give up and you know that Mamba mentality. Um, goes a long way um it, it, you know it sounds like a catchphrase but it's not 
And it's it, to me, it just warmed my heart, man, to see this this guy, a veteran champion, who who still is getting so much from Kobe's wisdom. I think all of us kind of are taken back by that. Yeah. With that said, again, the, the the power of basketball, Professor David Hollander, how basketball can save the world. Amazing second part of that conversation coming up right here on Legends of Sports Friday. We're, we're trying to get at the root of why in the 21st century we seem to be kind of rinse and repeating mm -hmm. uh, old conflicts, old problems, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and now exacerbating particularly acute divisions of urban, rural, and, mm -hmm. and loneliness. Um, and look, all I know is that when the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and they said, here's here's how we know things are bad. We can't go near each other. Social distance. Right. That is the sign of unhealth. Right. Um, we must. You know, it, it was a brutal, torturous thing. And the the thing that people wouldn't stop doing, they refused to stop doing, even that we didn't know about vaccines yet. We, you know, you could die. Mm -hmm. They still they still went to play. In, in in public courts and and you had mayors and governors and and this is a global they were like stop going to play back people still wouldn't do it yeah to yeah. the point where they were taking the rims off they were taking the rims down and 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 didn't you had to quote the book from mayor lightfoot in chicago <laughs> saying like your jumper sucks or something go home or whatever it was i mean yeah, it's it's, an, Andy, it's Andy, they weren't doing this. They weren't excavating bocce courts. They weren't right, like tearing down right, tennis nets. Right. They didn't have problems with other things. Right. It's basketball. It's this Ubuntu. It's yeah. I must have it. I must connect with you. It's the only way I know. Yeah. Like this thing is good here on Earth. Yeah, it's so interesting because I, I interviewed Pete Souza a couple of weeks ago and he was President Obama's photographer for eight years in the White House. <laughs> and And we talked about basketball as a as a sanctuary for the president you know he had a court in the white house and he would take um one of his closest uh guys to him down there and just destroy him on the court he was going to call a foul of the president but then he got the whole conversation about how he just needed to play like that was his way to just get away from everything right so if you if you could have been in the room with him <laughs> and he could have implemented you know um World Basketball Day, which you had proposed to the UN, right? Um, how would our, how would our world be better, David? I mean, really, it, yeah. it, it, you know, it's such a broad uh, idea, but but when you really break it down, it makes so much sense. Um, so 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 one thing on Obama, you know, he, Alex Wolf wrote that wonderful book where he he showed how almost every Obama appointee had some relationship to basketball. Like it, it was a basketball administration, which right. was really interesting yeah um you know i do believe that so it, it's like a big it, it's a it's a it's a it's a what you just asked is a big question and a, a micro application mm -hmm. uh, of how we do this we've been led by the same kinds of for a millennia same kinds of leaders for a millennia we've had the same kinds of leaders uh, monarchs military types uh the theologists mm -hmm. um politicians, economists, lawyers, captains of industry, and they've come up with isms to make our world more just, meaningful, efficient, socialism, capitalism, theism, theism, utilitarianism. And this a millennia, the same kinds of leaders with the same kinds of isms seem to have only advanced us, if they have, technologically repeating the same kinds of problems to a progressively worse, more conflicted, more confused place we are today. Mm -hmm. 
can't we look at something else? That's all I'm saying. I say the word capitalism, you know, in a mm -hmm. conversation, some people stop listening. I say the word socialism in a conversation, some people stop listening. Okay. Newism, new source of ideas. That is the provocation of this, you know, how basketball save the world? Mm -hmm. Because I know that this thing is serious. I know that just because it's sports doesn't mean it. you're not learning. I, I, I don't understand, and I do want to comment on the the world basketball day mm -hmm. uh resolution here's what i understand you know i'm a college professor i know you can get a degree in music in art in drama in uh uh, uh all kinds of dance all, and and this is validly um all kinds of things where part of the learning is the doing of the thing mm -hmm. don't know why athletics is not the same thing mm. why is it over here yeah I mean, there's so much data, there's so much uh, we know about how athletics improves you and, and all the mission statements of higher education institutions say, you know, it makes you a better person, makes you better. Really? Okay. So let's academize it. Mm. Because I think that when you build that space, that court space, just like all the things we've been talking about, whether it's trauma, whether it's learning how to like be in managed space with other people, uh, like Sue Bird talked about, and mm -hmm. that's why she walks around the street or the airport or the mall better. You begin to build certain kinds of, of skills and vision, I think, that make you a person that's more capable, more harmonious, more, you know, all, all these good things. That we say, well, if you get a degree in history or literature, same. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree. All I say is, look at, like, if I, if you look at my 13 principles and I didn't tell you we were about to talk about basketball, and I said, how about these for the 21st century as a political platform, as a, a new religion, a new NGO mission statement? Mm -hmm. Would you like it? Oh, for Would sure. You, yeah. But you know, that's that's the thing. But, but like what you say, as soon as you mention basketball, like it's a sport. Well, okay, then it's over there. Like we don't <laughs> we don't have to think to like play a sport, right? Yeah. So right. I mean, it makes no sense. A lot of things make no sense. But you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm think I'm I'm coming from this also as as a father of a soon to be 15 year old girl. I have three in their late 20s and. Believe it or not, you know, I got a freshman in high school and the world that she lives in, you know, my other kids were at the beginning of all of this technology and kind of, you know, they, they can sort of balance it. But, but the isolation alone that technology has caused and, yes. and the opposite of what Naismith really proposed in his, in his game, people playing together and, you know, all of that, you know, cooperation and stuff it scares me man i i have to say it, it's because we are becoming see i was hoping that the you call it the great reset in your book you know i, I call it the big time out <laughs> like god gave us all a big time out in 2020 like the entire world like you guys you know i'm not sending a flood or an ice age but i'm sending this thing and you know yeah. then you can like restart the clock literally hasn't happened right so it hasn't happened and yeah. you and you know by the way, that so many people during that time said to themselves, when this is over, we're going to change. Yeah, right. Things will be different. Everything. Yeah, it's worse. I mean, it's, it's, it's seriously worse. Look what's going on right now as you and I speak on Capitol Hill with TikTok, right? I mean, I watched that, the hearing right before I came in. 
it's just incredible to me. Anyway, anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to get too off tangent. You mentioned Sue Burden. It was an interesting thing. I, I reached out to Sue at the beginning of the pandemic, and she was she was sequestered. She and Megan in in her house in Connecticut, and they don't have they didn't have a hoop. She didn't have a hoop in the driveway, and she was going out of her mind. She said, I could, I could be alone, and I can, you know, I'm good, but if I don't have a hoop to shoot on. And then I had the opposite reaction from Kevin Love, who said, thank God I have a hoop. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, it's so interesting, man. You know what, David, I want to hit on just one, one really major point. Um, you know, I was very close with Kobe. I covered him his whole career. We did a book together. I got to know him inside and out and what made him tick. And when he passed, you know, we were all shocked, of course. But I think what caught the world by surprise was the simultaneous outpouring of creative energy in the, in the form of murals all over the world at the same time. You know, I mean, there were murals going up in the Philippines and going up in, in Italy, in Estonia, in Australia, in LA, of course. I mean, right now, there's probably over 700 murals of Kobe and Gigi throughout the world. So you, you, you have a great chapter about the convergence of art and basketball, of, of, of the marriage. Um, and I have not seen um, or read the book. It's a book, right? Common Practice? Yes. Um, and that's uh, something I, that's definitely on my to-do list. Well, these, yeah, the Common Practice is a uh, a partnership of, uh, of 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 two gentlemen, one of which uh, Dan Peterson is out in LA. He mm -hmm. runs mm -hmm. uh, something called Project Backboard. Mm -hmm. um, there are other organizations that do that kind of work, but he's really the the gold standard. He believes in a, in a scholarly way that there's <laughs> a, a powerful relationship between art and the space of a basketball mm -hmm. court, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the way it can elevate that space, make it a, a, a place where we can all go, yes, to speak the common language of basketball, but also to have a common space that draws us, even if we don't want to play basketball, to this uh, uh, unique uh, kind of center of a, of, of a community, mm -hmm. um, to feel that energy. His, his, uh, what I call kind of, uh, you know, he struck gold, not just by renovating courts, but by making them artistic. And mm -hmm. we know that public art works. We know that, well, you know, I argue in, in the book that basketball is a space that, that brings people together who may never know each other, may never know each other again, but they find ways of knowing each other through that game. And then they're connected forever. This could be the place where, Hey, if I'm from an urban environment and I go to a rural environment, there's not a lot I have in common with those folks. Mm -hmm. But that basketball court, I get that. Yeah. That's that's the church we all pray at. Same for a rural person coming to an urban space. You see that basketball court. This is our 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 common coat of arms. This is what maybe begins to close that it, it it's like okay here's one thing we all have in common and if there's one thing it stands for there's a thing mm -hmm. and if it's if there's a thing there can be another thing yeah and and let's start to find let's work on that mm -hmm. well as you're saying that and i'm remembering in the book about bird and magic about their relationship we all know about the famous commercial right i right. mean you know 
limo pulls up, you know, or urban guy pulls up to French Lick, you know, outdoor court, the whole bird magic, what they were, you know, they were supposed to be so different, you know, and, and what the NBA created and, and, and cashed in on, which was amazing at the time and much needed. But the fact that they had so much in common, these guys, <laughs> and, and truly became brothers is weird through a commercial, right? But, yeah, yeah. but, you know, I've seen them so many times together and Magic was there when Bird got inducted in the Hall of Fame and vice versa. And of course, you know, Magic, I've heard the story, but you talk about in the book is one of the people, one of the key people he called before he told the world that his HIV diagnosis was, was Larry. And, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, that relationship to me proves like everything in your book. <laughs> you know? Right, because it's not only is basketball a, a special language that a lot of us kind of speak. Mm -hmm. But then you say, well, who really, who's really like the, the ultimate speaker of these languages? These two guys understood each other. It's not like they're best friend, you know, mm -hmm. they, they're, they're, they're socializing all the time. Yeah. It's just that each of them knew that the other was the only one who understood really that language at that, you know, this very special frequency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, they're the same people. Mm -hmm. They're the same people. They just, they, they came in different rappers from different, they're sure. the same, they're at their core and their soul. And they both recognized it finally upon meeting for real outside of the basketball court, which was, yeah, it's, it's, it's so much of the narrative is always the LA Boston, the different coasts, the, sure. you know, the racialized kind of narrative of them. Mm -hmm. Yes, all of that. But there was something else that was just unbelievably similar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to this day. Um, you know, I'm thinking of of the purity of the game, and uh, I was with the Dream Team. I spent seven weeks with them, and uh, I was the only photographer. You know, um, basically just embedded with the team from day one, and all the hype and everything. But the greatest moments were, of course, those practices that they had behind closed doors, where they wow. could just hoop, they could just have fun, they could just go at it with each other, and everything else was just noise out there literally out there behind the closed doors with blackened windows <laughs> so it was a purity what a, of the thing game. To, what a thing to witness i mean what yeah so what did you notice like what kind of characteristics uh, you know what you could have put these dudes on rucker park or on you know ps193 where i grew up in brooklyn or wherever it would have been the same vibe all right, that's all the time we have for this week's edition of Legends of Sport Friday. Amazing conversation. You never know who we'll uh, get a chance to chat with. This week it was author and professor David Hollander. Uh, just an amazing conversation about his book, How Basketball Can Save the World. And, uh, you know, no better time than now to talk to him about that with playoff basketball in full effect here. And uh, just... Uh, another amazing episode of legends of sport friday again that's all the time we have for today let's do it again next week until then this is arash markazi saying stay safe and stay healthy this is the arash markazi show on the mightier 1090 espn radio everybody got their own thing 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.